This is A Smaller Life, a podcast about making more conscious and more ethical choices within our crafts. Hosted by me, Saskia de Feiter. I'm a small business owner who wants to grow by going smaller. Together with local makers, I make tools, yarns, and accessories for knitters that want to buy less, buy better, make more, and make it last, keeping away the overwhelm and all the ridiculousness of overconsuming within our crafts. In the podcast, I endeavor to answer the question we ask ourselves before we start a project. What do we buy? Where do we buy? Who do we buy from? Or don't we buy at all? But use what we already have. Because when you think about what you do, you take more time and end up with less of everything. As a result, you'll get a smaller life. Nadja Teregeti is a Swiss scientific project manager, tidying expert and gifted adult lifestyle podcaster. These topics might seem totally different. But she's recently learned something about herself and is figuratively knitting a form-fitting red sweater out of this new red thread in her life, and she's connecting all the different stitches. As a multi-potentialist, a non-neurotypical business owner and or textile lover, you might hear things that resonate with you. So listen to Nadja's amazing story and enjoy. Hi, Nadia. Welcome to my podcast. I'm so excited to have you. Hi, Saskia. Thank you for having me. I'm excited too. Ooh. So we have a lot in common, but we will uh, start our conversation and people will find out throughout. Why don't we start at the beginning? What were you like as a child? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right at the beginning. <laughs> right at the beginning. So I think I was a very happy child, but and I was very outgoing. I've been told I was bossy. And from an early age, I was told being bossy is a bad trait. So I tried to suppress that throughout my life later on and always kind of held back on this. But I grew up with two boys in my life. So my parents moved into a building where a family lived that were friends of the family. And they had two boys and one was similar in age. He was nine months older than me and the older brother was like three years older. So the one that was closer to my age, we were inseparable and we grew up from like three to seven years old. We were inseparable. And so I was always one of the boys and I was really integrated in that household as well. And I was never treated as, you know, the girly girl. I was always a tomboy. And gender was never an issue. I could do anything and everything I wanted because of my abilities and not because of gender or I was like held back by gender. So that was really great. And I only realized that looking backwards later. So I live in Switzerland and we grew up a little bit outside of the main city. So it's kind of a village, like a suburb of a city. Um, but in Switzerland, kids from a young age are very independent, I would say. I think in the US, people always drive their kids to kindergarten and to school. In Switzerland, you basically walk to kindergarten by yourself. Yeah, yeah. It's almost the same here. Uh, we obviously bike because we go on 
two things on bike everywhere. Yeah, that, that um, shift has happened here too. Now everybody bikes and I actually have two baskets on my bike, one in the front and one in the back so I can transport all of my stuff. And But you have like the Netherlands is like really flat country, but you have mountains. So <laughs> on a bike, that's... yeah. That's a different well, thing. That's the stereotype, right? I don't live in the mountains, so I live in a. That's true. I live in a city called Basel, and we are actually five minutes from the border to Germany and five minutes to the border to France. And so we live by the River Rhine, and it's it's quite flat here. There's some hills with the bike, but it's it's not that bad. It's fine. Okay, cool. So was nature a big part of your life when you were growing up? Or uh, did you venture out a lot in the weekends? Or mm, Yeah, more like suburban nature, I would say. So there's some patches of woods. And I was, uh, do you know YMCA? Yes. Um, so it's kind of like the boys and girl scouts but the ycma also has something like that so every saturday afternoon i joined that group and mm -hmm. it wasn't because of faith it was really because all of my friends from school were there and so from the age of like seven to like maybe 12 a lot of the afternoons we spent together on saturdays and we would go into the woods and we make fires and so we were quite outdoorsy yeah Because when I think of Switzerland, I immediately think of woods and snow and outdoors and all of that. But it sounds like you had a very similar childhood compared to mine where I went to uh, Girl Scouts and did the same things. But we basically, <laughs> when it was raining, we were outside. And when it was nice weather, we were inside and it didn't make a lot of sense. So I didn't stay there for a long time. I remember learning how to make some knots in ropes and not much more. <laughs> oh, no, no. Ours was the opposite. They always adjusted the program according to the weather. So yeah. they always had like a backup plan for when it was raining. And because it was like associated with the church, just this like community center. And when Whenever it was like raining, we were inside this community center. But yeah, obviously I grew up skiing. But again, like going skiing for where I live, it takes like two hours by, by car. And yeah. so it's not something you do in the afternoon after school. No, no. Um, if you had the choice, would you rather live more in a natural environment, in nature, and then go to the city every once in a while or live in a city and like get your battery charged in nature? Oh, that's such a tough one. I know. <laughs> I, I really like cities where you have some sort of nature. So for example, Barcelona is so great. You have like the beach, like right inside the city. I love it. And I really like the size of Basel. The city has like, I think like a quarter of a million inhabitants. So it's not, it's not a metropolitan city, but it's quaint and it's big enough. So you have like cafes and you can sit outside and there's always like a good crowd. Well, not at the moment, but um, I think I like the, I, I could never live in a, like a countryside, like con con the country mentality, I think is the issue here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I think I would be a little bit lonely, but then 
the way we live now is not much different, is it? So yeah, lately I've been changing my views. I've been dreaming about um, moving to Sweden or whatever. Me too, me too. So the older I get, the more I think like, you know, like a cabin by the lake in Finland sounds amazing. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. And we can keep in touch online anyways. Exactly, exactly. So after your childhood, what kind of education did you get? If you want to build or grow your business in textile crafts, why don't you join our online community for the small monthly contribution of only 10 euros, which is basically $10-ish. You get to hang out, learn from, and share your business and your personal craft journey with all the lovely people there. Support the podcast at the same time and you get everything wrapped into one loving package. I would love to welcome you there. Go to patternshift.fm and click community. And while you're there, sign up for our emails so you'll never miss a thing. So my education went all over the place. My CV is a big zigzag. <laughs> As a child, I was always, I loved school. Uh, I loved going to school. I really wanted to learn from an early age on. And I was very disappointed if I didn't have any homework because I was told just to finish up what we've been doing in school. And I was just fast. So I never had homework. And by the time I was supposed to do homework when I was like 14 or something, I didn't want to do homework and I didn't know how to like sit down and study. So my grades actually dropped and mm -hmm. I did go to high school and then my grades got even worse and I dropped out and I have to do a different school. So then I went to like some sort of commercial school I was around 18 and then I realized I really want to go and study biology because I was fascinated by it. And so I took all these extra classes. Imagine I was like 20 years old. Everybody went partying on a Friday night, Saturday night. And I went and took chemistry and physics on a Saturday morning. <laughs> <laughs> and by then, like the school was empty. It was just the class of these people that wanted to go on this track to go, you know, to university. So we were like five people in the whole school building. Um, and I remember the other people, you know, sometimes they didn't show up. And I think I was the only one like showing up every single Saturday. I was really, if I want something, I really am diligent and I'm cool for it. I managed to get enough good grades to go back to the track to go to university. And my major was in economics. And when I finally graduated from this high school and went to university, my major in biology was completely different. So I was lacking skills in biology, chemistry, physics, math, because all the hours I spent in school was mostly on economics subjects, right? So mm -hmm. I, I really had a hard time during my undergrad, but I somehow managed and started doing my master's. So I have a master's degree in epidemiology and infection biology. And after fitting, fitting. And then after my master's, I was like, okay, what, what's next? Like I saw that a lot of people just go and do a PhD 
But I wasn't really sure where that's going to lead me because once you do a PhD, you're very specialized. And I just felt like I have so many different interests and going on a professor track, like the academic trail, it didn't really appeal to me. And I like the research. I like the environment of research. I'm really curious about what's going on in research, but I don't like the, I don't like being the one doing the research. <laughs> I like to tell other people. <laughs> I like telling other people what to do. Um, so for a year, I went and worked at a bank. Um, they offered me a permanent position after a year. And they said, oh, you, you grasp concepts so fast. Like, would you like to stay on as a product manager in pension services? So, yeah. But after 11 months, I was like, thank you, but no, thank you. I didn't spend like five years at university studying biology to now work at the bank where I could have gone right after this commercial school. So I went back uh, into an academic setting. I work at the Swiss Tropical and Public Health Institute, but I work as a project manager. So I'm still kind of surrounded by scientists, but I'm more involved in budgeting and controlling and contracts and just making sure the projects are moving along uh, on time. Okay, cool. And what would you say the trades that you are good at, which of those find their happy place in this job? Where do you light up? Oh, I, I think I like to network and I like to connect. And I understand different fields because I... I worked with mathematicians, I worked, you know, with biologists, I worked with um, people from accounting and economic backgrounds. So they all speak a different language. And literally, we all speak different languages, but we also speak different languages with, with the background that we bring to the table. And so when somebody from controlling says to the, the professor, who's a mathematician, like, can you please, you know, fill out this this controlling sheet, there's a lot of misunderstanding and misinterpretation. So I try to kind of like, I'm the translator between the subjects, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, but something, was there something missing in your life? Because then you started your own business. Can you tell us a little bit about how that happened? And what kind of business did you start? Yeah, so I think from a very young age, I always had this urge to be self-employed. I always wanted to start my own company. I don't know why. And studying biology is maybe not the best subject if you want to do that, (laughs) unless you become some sort of scientific consultant. (laughs) Um, So I always had this passion of, you know, entrepreneurship, but I just didn't have this idea of, you know, the next great Facebook or the next great anything. So I just went on my track and I thought, okay, at some point I will have an idea and then everything will fall into place. I just trusted the process, I guess. Sometimes I was a little bit impatient. And I also, once I started working, I did an additional course at the University of St. Colin in advanced general management. Mm -hmm. and. It was targeted for women, and this is really where things got interesting for me because I was the first time surrounded by 
a lot of very bright and smart women. Well, at the university, of, of course, you are as well. But these women, they took action in their careers and their passion and really driving their own career forward and bringing to the table all these tools that I didn't know existed, like StrengthsFinder assessments, for example. And this is where I learned about coaching, business coaching and life coaching. And in one of these group coaching sessions, again, this trait of like me being this entrepreneur came out. So I just had this always in the back of my mind that at some point I want to start my own business. Like a lot of things in life, it was it was by chance. I was once sick. I had bronchitis and I was ordered by the doctor to stay at home for like two weeks. And because it was a viral disease, it was like highly contagious. So I just was in my home and didn't want to see anybody, just isolated myself. Uh, that was 2018, way before Corona. Yeah, it sounds, really, <laughs> it sounds like it was yesterday, but no. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Um, so yeah, I had this I had this bronchitis and my mom has uh, severe asthma. So I didn't want her to get, you know, sick. So I didn't even want them to come visit me, like my parents. Uh, so yeah, I was really isolated at home for like two weeks and I what I left out until now is like, I was a very messy person all my life. That was just part of my identity. I was just messy and things were lying around and I just couldn't keep my, in the beginning, my room and later on my apartment, like tidy. I always thought that there's two types of people. There's the tidy people and then there's me, you know, the untidy, (laughs) messy people. And me. (laughs) (laughs) And I really, I only later found out this is actually a limiting belief. But so, yeah, I grew up messy and I just embraced it. I was like, well, this is just me. But when you're at home for two weeks, I guess people now during Corona realize and you don't you know, regularly tidy up and you also don't have the energy to tidy up, you know, it was never dirty, but, you know, clothes pile up, you do the laundry, but then you you just pick up the laundry from the rack and you put it right back onto your body and then on the floor and it never really gets put on a hanger or into a drawer. Yes. So you're describing my life <laughs> still for for a large part. Yeah. And I'm so happy my stepdad, he once took a picture when I was around 14 years old. And they really tried to get me to be a tidy child. Like every Saturday I had to clean up my room and vacuum clean it. So it's not that my parents didn't care. It was really it it just didn't stick. So I tidied up my room and two hours later, it looked the same as before. Um, And he took a picture because he he said like some sort of proof or I'm going to show this to your boyfriend and then, you know, (laughs) you're going to be embarrassed and that's going to make you tidy up. And obviously it didn't, but I still have this photograph. So that's good. Um, So then I stumbled across Marie Kondo. And for the people that don't know her, she's a Japanese tidying guru. She came up with her own method of like how you tidy up your house once and for all. Yes. And let's talk about the difference between tidying and cleaning before we go on. Could you explain a little bit? Yes. So 
tidying is really confronting yourself with your own belongings and your items, whereas cleaning is really confronting yourself with nature. So cleaning is really the dirt and the debris and the dust, and tidying is really uh, your your items, your belongings, your your stuff. Wow, I never heard it said like that. That's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's not my words, it's Marie Kondo. Yeah, but it makes so much sense though. It makes so much sense. And this is also why her method and her book suddenly makes so much sense. You know, when I heard all these tips and tricks of like, well, tidy one drawer a week or get rid of one item a day, it never really made sense or it never really stuck. And when I discovered her method, it made so much sense. So because she's Japanese, there's a lot of Japanese philosophy behind the method, which is really interesting. And it really makes you evaluate each and every single item, your possession in your household, and you choose really consciously what you keep in your life. Yeah. So you were at home with the bronchitis. And then how did you go from being sick at home in your messy home to becoming like the biggest Marie Kondo fan? So yeah, I sat there in my mess and I stumbled across a video, I guess, on Facebook or somewhere. I, I was already on the way to recovery. And I just saw this video, how she folded clothes and stood them upright. And I started decluttering my sock drawer because I bought so many socks and some <laughs> of them I never wore and some of them had holes and... I had a huge sock drawer full of socks. I can just see you covered in socks. I'm sorry, I'm getting a visual. (laughs) Yeah, and this is totally how it looked, probably even bigger. (laughs) So I started, yeah, decluttering this sock drawer. And up to this day, my socks literally stand upright. And when you open the drawer, you can see every single pair of socks at one glance. And it's just life changing. (laughs) Oh, I have the same sock drawer. But for me, it came from knitting my own socks and wanting to present them every day nicely. And it gives you I know how that sounds, but I totally understand it gives you Every morning when you grab a pair of socks, you get a little bit of happiness by just grabbing the pair of socks. And I just wanted to say that in Holland, when we say, I'm not sure how that is in Switzerland, but when a a piece of clothing can stand up right by itself, it usually means that it's really, really dirty. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we say the same. (laughs) So just to be clear, it's it's a matter of how you fold it. It's a special technique of folding. It's not hard, by the way. And how you put them in little... Uh, boxes and so you can see everything at one glance right exactly so the folding method it doesn't take longer a lot of people say like oh it takes so much longer it's much more effort it's the same of amount of time the same amount of effort to fold your clothes the way Marie Kondo folds it and it's just the basic is to get it into a square so whatever kind of shape of clothing you have, just try to fold it in a square and then fold it smaller until it stands upright. That's all there is. And there's no right and wrong. It's just make it it in a square and fold it until it stands. (laughs) No, her whole philosophy just kind of makes sense. I've read the book a couple of years ago when it just came out. I did part of the work. It was hard for me to do it 
according to her steps. And I'm going to ask you about them in a bit, but I'm coming back to it as I'm, uh, as I'm moving in the, in the new year. And I still love it so much. There's, there's now on Netflix, there's a show, uh, the home edit and they have a different way of decluttering and organizing. And I'm sure everybody has their own specific things that they like doing that, that work for them. But the whole philosophy of Maricondo is just, it just works. It absolutely works. And can you tell us a little bit about the general philosophy and then talk to us about uh, why did you decide to start a business? Yeah, so her philosophy is really reflecting and doing the work yourself. So there's, as you said, the home edit, and there's a lot of other professional organizers out there. So you can hire somebody to come to your house and basically tidy it up for you. But it's not going to be a long-lasting transformational experience. So what the Marie Kondo method really forces you to do is do the work yourself. So even though I'm I'm a certified KonMari consultant. I'm not going to come to your house and tidy for you. I'm coaching you so you can do the work yourself. As I said, it's really to confront yourself with your own values and your own belief system and your dreams and goals through the method of tidying. So tidying is actually only a tool. Yes. It's just a tool. And like with knitting, knitting holds up a mirror f for the way you work. If you are a perfectionist, you will learn through the process of knitting that it's impossible to do everything perfect. If you want to have everything perfect, then you will never finish a project. The other way around is when you uh, are very messy and you don't care what it looks like, you will probably not not really wear the things you make. So with the KonMari method, you are essentially looking at yourself, not only from a tidying perspective, but also looking at yourself, the way your brain works, the way, what makes you happy, what works for you. Am I right? If I make that comparison? Yes. Yes, you're totally right. And it really is a reflection on yourself. And by creating space in your physical environment, you also create space in your brain. And, and this is really where the method is so life-changing. So I really went into this method because I thought, oh, I need to tidy up my house. And I was quite naive when I started this journey. I didn't even read the book at the time. I only ordered a book while I started the process. <laughs> and I actually went through all these emotions. And then I read the book and she talks about these emotions like, oh, now it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I went through this transformation. This really, she calls it the life-changing magic of tidying up. Yes. And when I saw the book title, I was like, oh yeah, right. You know, like... <laughs> Yeah, and it's always with a trend after you hear it so many times on your social media and on TV and whatever. You're like, yeah, yeah, there we go again, Marie Kondo. That's why I invited you. I have this personal experience. I think the way it works just really helps 
me as a person to find more focus. And uh, as this is what the podcast is about, like making your life in business and personal life less overwhelming, finding more focus, make going from bigger to smaller. I met you on this business course that we did for 12 weeks and we were actually in um in like a homework pod together. And so I've gotten to know you and then you turned out to have this Marie Kondo business. And it was so funny because I'm, I really, really uh, resonate with the idea of how she works. So how did you decide you wanted to make a business out of it? So it was all just coincidence um, at this point. So I found the method. I did my transformation in the home. And then I saw on her website that she offers these in-person seminars. And it was the first time she ever came to Europe. And it was in London. And it was coincidence that I had to be in London the day before. So I talked to my boss and I said, well, I want to stay the weekend. And so I went to her seminar um, it was really, it was really a gut decision. Like it doesn't make sense as a biologist, you know, with my career in project management to now go and get trained as a tidying coach. Yeah. But it just, at the moment I was like, yeah, this is so great. This is life changing. It helped me so much. And I know that so many other people out there are suffering probably in silence and they're like afraid to to show this side of them so like sometimes I didn't even let people in when they spontaneously rang my doorbell I would pretend I wasn't home because I was so embarrassed about the messiness yeah so I really understand the struggle and this method really helped me get an organized life but as you said it's so much more than just a tidying method it really helped me focus on what I want to do in life in general and everything I do now I evaluate like where do I want to go because the first step in her method is really to create like your own vision of your ideal lifestyle and every decision I take today is always does this fit into the bigger pictures will this make me happy does this spark joy you know and so I found this so inspiring that I decided to do the seminar and then you have to go and do some tidying consultancies with clients. And this is where I just started my journey. I just asked, you know, my friends, who wants to be a guinea pig? Can I come and help you tidy your house? <laughs> Lucky friends. <laughs> and so then I was like, oh, this is like, you know, in line with my entrepreneurship. So I created my business. I started doing my website and I wanted to do everything by myself because I just want, I just love the experience. So yeah, that's how I started doing this on the side. I started coaching people and how to tidy on the weekends and in the evenings. And then during the day, I still have my day job. Yeah. It's so funny because it kind of, it looks weird, like for what you do for a living and then the combination with this, but Things are starting to make a lot more sense, right? Because you recently found out something about yourself and you are now actually making a podcast on the topic. Will you please explain a little bit more about that part? Yeah. So as I told you, I went to this business course and I met all these inspiring women and all these tools and techniques of how you really can be the best version of yourself. Marie Kondo is one part, but there's other, 
you know, techniques and just self-development, which I before didn't really focus on. And I joined all these networking groups and mentoring programs. And I was like, wow, I want to tell all my friends, especially the ones in science about this. So how can I curate all of this information and bring it out there? And maybe I can sneak this in. Like I suffer from self-diagnosed dyslexia. So writing was always difficult for me. So I would never write a blog. But Mm. hey, a podcast sounds amazing because I love to talk. So I was like, okay, I want to do a podcast. And my first guest that I interviewed is a friend of mine. And she has this incredible story that at the age of 38, she found out she's a gifted adult. And it never occurred to her because she was never never the best in school. She was never the one that, you know, can learn poems by heart. She also struggled through school like I did. And when I interviewed her for my podcast, I was like, oh, my God, this makes so much sense. And I can relate. And what does that mean, giftedness? Like, I thought that's like, you know, these nerdy math people like I work (laughs) with. (laughs) Can we just say for the for the Dutch listeners and maybe the German language listeners as well, we call it hochbegaafd or uh, hochgifted? Hochbegaafd. Hochbegaafd. Okay, so that's the translation for gifted. Yes, and they also in French, so my French is French speaking, they call it like high potential. That sounds better. You know, like uh, the the term we use, I think gifted and hochbegaafd, it doesn't have like the best reputation, right, as a as a term. None of these terms have. And this is where all these taboo and misunderstanding comes in, like as I later found out high potential i learned that this is also used in companies they identify people as high potential and they they put them on like a career track oh so so it has a double meaning which is not ideal as well and also there's a lot of pressure you know like there's like oh if you're so smart why don't you figure it out or you have you know now the responsibility that you know you're gifted or this high potential you have to you know save the world yeah because that's what we're thinking about right if we're thinking about gifted people they're nerdy they might be somewhere on the spectrum they make drawings of cities from their heads you know that kind of thing yeah exactly but it's a lot different there's a lot more to it so the more I dug into this topic the more I realized well first of all a lot more research needs to be done. And a lot of research has been done on children in the education sector um, and in psychology. Not a lot has been done on gifted adult. There's some research out there and I'm trying to collect it and now basically pivoted my podcast into using it as a platform for exactly exploring this topic and inviting guests, experts, and also people that are gifted, people that think they might be gifted and just having a conversation and start, you know, breaking down these stereotypes. Because when you hear the word gifted, I think most people think of like Einstein and Beethoven and, Mm. you know, Sheldon Cooper from the Big Bang Theory. But the only person, the only female person people think on top of their head is Marie Curie. Yeah. And, but 2% of the population apparently fall into this category of gifted. 2%? That's a lot. It's a lot. A lot more than I thought. It sounds like a small amount, but in absolute numbers, it's quite a lot. And 
even though I've been identified as gifted, my like calculation in my brain, I cannot do math in my brain. (laughs) I need a calculator. So yeah, but 2% is a lot. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you know that much. (laughs) I can really relate to the journey you're on with the podcast. So I think it's very important that you're doing this work because there's a lot of people that have uh, a limiting idea of what giftedness is. And if people can relate to your stories and relate to your guests, then it's really important work because they can become better functioning people um, in essence. So that is also like bringing it back to your tidying business, functioning on, let's not say normal, that's not a good term, but functioning well on a day-to-day basis. As a non-neurotypical person, um, you need kind of... So most gifted people, apparently, they suffer from imposter syndrome, and I'm one of them. Like, who am I to do this podcast? Who am I to talk about this subject? Like, I have no clue. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not trained in this field. So who am I? And even now when you interview me here, like I'm really hesitant to say something wrong. So I rather not give too much information. Like if you ask me, so what is giftedness? Like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Finding out. (laughs) Finding out. Listen to my podcast. Listen to the expert. Um, No, but it's really apparently the gifted people have a different experience, an internal different experience of the outside world. And growing up, everybody thinks, you know, we're different or everybody feels the way they experience the world is how everybody experiences it. Yeah. But apparently this is not true. So for me, the tell signs were really um, when my friend shared her story, she told me like, yeah, she, she had dyslexia. She had difficulties doing math, you know just like three times six, like, oh, what is that? But if you give her a calculator and you give her like advanced math to do, um, she, she can totally manage. And by the way, she's an accountant now. Yeah. <laughs> so the same goes for a lot of things. And people, um, gifted people suffer from imposter syndrome. As I said, they suffer from this pain of the world and they feel they are responsible to really help heal the world and make it a better place and they feel so strongly about inequality Mm -hmm. and I think this is also where I see you working you know making conscious decisions because you want to make the world a better place and this is also where I relate like I really try to buy consciously and make good decisions for the environment, not just for myself, for my own wallet or for my own well-being, for my own health. It's really on a global scale. Like if everybody would make, you know, makes their little kind of contribution to the world, the whole world could be a much bigger, better place. And I think that's really where giftedness, this is where it's important for people that are unidentified gifted adults, that they they learn that they are gifted so they can go on their journey and they can stop suffering and start using their potential for something meaningful. It doesn't mean that they need to save the world, but no. it helps them also see themselves in a much more positive light. And when you are you know, grounded 
in who you are, you can also contribute better and you're a better friend, you're a better spouse, you're a better parent. Yeah, and finding those tools to uh, make your life better. And one of those tools can be tidying up your life because uh, if there's less clutter in your house, there's less clutter in your brain. And I am not sure, but I think that if your brain is like active the whole time, it really makes a difference if you tidy up your place. It does. And this is exactly where I'm at now. Like in the beginning, throughout my life, I'm 37 years old now, and I had such a messy CV. <laughs> and I did this and I did that and I did this. And I was ashamed, even like if I apply for a job, I was like, oh God, like what do what? What are they going to think? <laughs> but you ha the, the, the thing is that you just have so many interests and you're very curious about everything. And that's, that's actually not so messy as it is. Just you get inspired about a lot of things and it's a different way of looking at it, right? Exactly. So now that I know that, you know, there's this cause, <laughs> yeah. there's this underlying cause of giftedness. First, I thought this is like a puzzle piece. But it's not. It's really the red thread throughout my life. Yeah. Like looking back from early childhood, going into the school that I chose and also the career choices that I made. And then now the place that I work at, you know, being surrounded by all these scientists, but it's not just a scientific research center, but it's also an institution that really wants to bring the best science to all the people in the world, especially low and middle income countries. And so I'm really struggling to move away from this environment because it really resonates so much with my own values. And yeah. once I realized this, you know, like I was thinking to myself, why can I not be happy in a corporate job, make six figures a year and just travel the world and just be happy? Why do I struggle financially? Mm. Just because so I can, you know, have a meaningful career in a sense but now you've knitted <laughs> sorry no. you've knitted all these little pieces of your life together with that red thread and um you're fulfilling your different interests and uh you're making the podcast you're doing something good for the world you're helping people tidy you have this own practice in your life or keeping your life tidy. So you're essentially like knitting a red sweater that fits you really well with all these different things. And I think that is, it sounds so great and warming and I can keep this metaphor going forever. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, and it also really resonates with me and I see a lot of parallels in, in my life as well. And so I think it's so important that people check out your podcast and if they even hear something that slightly resonates, just let your curiosity win and have a listen. Um, I'm, I'm going to ask you about your, all your details and we're definitely going to mention them in this, in the show notes. But I just wanted to ask you, you also mentioned that in your life, you make conscious decisions when it comes to nature and our world. My question that I ask everybody is, what would you find really hard to give up when it comes to living an eco-conscious lifestyle? So what do you do that you know that isn't helping our earth, but you would have a hard time giving that up? What is that? 
There's two things that come to mind. So first is really it's traveling by plane. I really love traveling and going somewhere without a plane is is really difficult for me. (laughs) (laughs) Even though I hate flying, but it gets me places. Yeah. And I think the second one is all these disposable plastic cups. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of takeaway coffee and I have my own mugs, but I don't bring them in the morning. And It's then I a hard up- habit to shake, isn't it? Because I've got all these water bottles I've gotten used to, but uh, takeaway coffee is still like, a, it's still hard to get hold of the habits. It is. It's so hard. And the other day I bought a coffee and it, it was in this plastic cup, you know, plastic cup and plastic cover. And then they gave you a cardboard straw. So they're now mm. like, oh, let's save the planet by not, you know, you're not taking the straw. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that that's really missing the Can point. Can you just here. pour the drink in the straw <laughs> and then and keep the plastic up? <laughs> oh, and then you know, you you suck it through this cardboard straw and it the, the straw dissolves and you're like, oh, I wish the plastic straw was back. Um yeah. so yeah. I was just yeah. like, yeah, that's missing the so, point here. I recently got metal straws for uh, at home, mm. and uh, they're pretty cool. I love them. And I've also used the bamboo straws, which they're very chunky. I don't really like them. But we do have, like, the coffee shop around the corner has this eco-plastic, and uh, they're okay too, I guess. So I really like that. I think in Holland, they're working on banning all the plastic straws. So I'm really happy about that. And we just have to get used to it right yeah and also i do the or or questions (laughs) um you have to choose right so i i I mentioned two things and then you have to choose so would you choose to make all your clothes yourself from now on or buy everything secondhand (laughs) I think <laughs> if I have to make them all myself, I will go around naked. <laughs> so let me let me buy secondhand. <laughs> like in this podcast where it's mainly textile based, this is actually a question that could go either way. But if you ask just a general person in the street, yeah. they would probably go for secondhand. But so I'm also a small knitter, let's say this way. <laughs> I do like to knit and I like to you know, make things with my hands. But yeah, I I think I will only walk around in shawls and a and a beanie. <laughs> <laughs> Just make a very big shawl and then make another one and tie it around your waist. You'll be fine. <laughs> so if you had to choose between Netflix for free for life or a weekly free uh, fruit basket for life, what would you choose? Oh, living in Switzerland, this answer is easy because fruits are so expensive. Really? Yeah, they are very expensive. Everything's expensive in Switzerland. Um, That's true. Apparently, <laughs> even Netflix is more expensive than what you get. <laughs> but it's it's on a smaller scale. So I definitely choose the fruits for free. Um, I can pay for Netflix. Good for you. <laughs> and if you had to choose, then we go back to the planes, I guess. Would you choose lots of holidays close to home or just once every, let's say, two years, a little bit further away where you might need a plane? Oh, I, I, I'll prefer the smaller, smaller holidays sprinkled through the year. Gives you yeah. something to look forward to. And I- That's true. That's true. Break up your stress levels. 
Yeah, and I love traveling. So if I have to wait two years, it's, that's that's difficult. So even now, like that's the most difficult part at this time and age. All right. Oh, I love talking to you, uh, Nadja. It's it's so fun to go actually go with you on this journey where you find out how all these different things are knitted together in your life. And um, I'm really looking forward to see how your podcast will evolve and what kind of guests you will have and also your uh, tidying business because oh, don't we all love a tidy house? Can you please share with us your um, your information where people can find you? Yes, absolutely. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. And I hope your listeners get something out of this. And if they want to find me, so I have a website for my tidying business. This is tidytothrive.com. And I'm also on Instagram and on Facebook. And then my podcast, I call it Unleash Monday. So I didn't want to bring the giftedness into the title. As you said, there's so much trauma and negative associations. So I kept it fairly general. So it's called Unleash Monday. And you find me on unleashmonday.com. And on Instagram, I'm at unleash.monday. And why did you call it Unleash Monday? I just want people to have an awesome start into the week and get a new like information so they can really use this and make their week the best week ever that's lovely that's so cool good luck with everything you do and thank you so much for being on my podcast i really really enjoyed having you thank you for having me i had a really good time I just love talking to Nadja. It's so satisfying to hear a person's life come together through their personal journey, like picking up tools along the way that help them find more focus and get away from overwhelm, and in the meantime, creating a smaller life. Find all the information about Nadja in the show notes. And also, don't forget to subscribe to her newsletter. If you have any additional questions after this episode, don't hesitate to get in touch via the website at www.ja-wol.com. Yeah,